Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, we want to invite you to turn. And we're going to take a look at the uh, two main texts that we've been looking at uh, these past five weeks. Mark chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse uh, 20. Actually, the outline says 23, but I'm going to back up to 22. It says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. And our second uh, verse we want to look at is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Can we remember what that says? Huh? Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Amen? So, we're going to take a look at this faith. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, He said, if you, if you have faith in God, and, one of the, and we're going to do a review, what we're going to do, we're going to review just a little bit briefly this evening, and then touch on just a little bit of new material that we feel like is very pertinent that we want to get in. But one of the things we want to get to is Jesus said you know, that one of the things we brought out is have faith in God. Because it seems like sometimes if, if you're not careful, people can make the mistake of just thinking, well, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith. Well, what's your faith in? Because you know what people put, you can have misplaced faith. You can have it, if you can have it in the wrong thing. And uh, so it's very important. Jesus qualified. He didn't, Jesus didn't just say have faith. He said have faith, and he told you who to have your faith in. He said have faith in God. And so over the course of the study, the first thing we're going to fill in on the handout, and you might say, Pastor Brian, you're really redundant. Well, we want to make sure that you get this. Amen? Faith is a firm persuasion or a conviction based on the Word of God rightly divided so that it is, that is so strongly held to that it governs what you think, say, or do. Understand that it's that it is a conviction that is based on the word of God, rightly divided. And you notice I, 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 that's in all caps, rightly divided. Because how many of you know you can wrongly divide the word of God, and that that is that's almost as hazardous as having misplaced faith. Because if you you know, if you take something out of context, you go and you lift a little something out of its context, you ignore the surrounding Scriptures, you ignore the fact that maybe it, that it contradicts. Because this is the thing. You understand one of the, the most simplest rules of accurate Bible interpretation. The Bible says, In the mouth of two or three witnesses let everything be established. Now that's got broad application. Somebody comes to you and they want to just dump some gossip on you about somebody which you shouldn't be listening to anyway. Hallelujah. You shouldn't be listening to that anyway. You know what? You ought to shut that mess down. You ought to just get radical crazy about it. Man, if you got to start worshiping, praising God, singing in tongues to get somebody to shut up. Shut up. I don't want to hear you gossip. But you understand, it's somebody goes, well, I'm not gossiping. i got something to tell you about somebody. Okay, well, there's two or three other people that know what they're talking about. And, oh, by the way, we're going to talk to the person that you're telling me this about. Well, that'll shut that down. You know, so that'll shut down gossip real quick. When somebody wants to tell you something about somebody, of course, it usually comes in this package. I'm going to tell you something, but you got to prom- I'm going to tell you something about somebody, but you got to promise not to tell them. Um, hello, big old red fire truck, big red sirens ought to be going off. There ain't nothing you need to hear, right? That'll shut. I've done it before, man. They'll shut it down. People say, well, you know, such and such. You know, uh, somebody was telling me that uh, something about you and my. Who was it? Oh, I really don't want to say. Well, if you ain't going to tell me who it is, then just shut up. I ain't going to listen to you. Oh, you sound rude, Pastor. But I'm not. I'm not my, ear is, my ears are not your garbage can. And you're not going to dump your junk in my ears. Don't come to me telling me some little tidbit, some little morsel, little juicy tidbit of something oh, uh, that you try to dress up and pretend it's not gossip, but you just really, I mean, don't do that. But then you're going to tell me who it is, and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to call them up, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to pull them in on this because I want to verify we're going to get two or three witnesses on it. Amen. Boy, that'll shut it down quick. Amen? People lose their interest in telling you stuff, and eventually, it won't, most people, it won't keep them from gossiping. It'll just keep them from gossiping to you. Amen. Hallelujah. 
That's a different subject. But faith, talking about faith, the Word of God rightly divided, if you're going to have a, a, a persuasion or a conviction about something in the Word, if you can't find at least two or three other supportive Scriptures that teach the same thing in their context, then you just need to leave it alone. Because if it's something, if there is something in the Bible that is that is a doctrine that's taught in the Bible that is worthy of you uh, accepting as a truth and building firm persuasions on and allowing your life to be lived by it, then it's going to be it's going to show up more than once. You know, people want to start pulling out obscure uh, scriptures and giving these wild, fantastic interpretations of what they think it means or what somebody else thinks it means. And it's like, but there's nothing else in the Scripture any place, Old through New Testament, anywhere that, that even supports that. Well, how many of you know that's flimsy? And you can't build doctrine on that. You can't build doctrine. If it, if it is something, if it's a legitimate doctrine in the Bible that, we're, that we are, should have faith in, we should have convictions upon, you're going to be able to find it in at least two or three witnesses. Amen? So it's the Word of God rightly divided. And we understand this. Uh, we saw this in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It said, Faith is the evidence. Amen. You write in evidence. Faith is the evidence of things. I mean, I'm sorry. Faith is the substance. I'm sorry. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we told you this, the word substance. It literally means an underlying structure that gives support. If you look up that word, you study that out, the, the word substance, that's exactly what it means, an underlying structure that gives support. In other words, we would understand that as a foundation. You build a house, you build a house on foundation. You build buildings, you build buildings on foundations. And what the pur- what's the purpose of the foundation? To give a, a solid and secure uh, footing for a structure to be built on. Well, what that reminds us a little bit of the story that Jesus told. You know, he said he said told the story about the wise man and the foolish man. And he said that the that the wise man uh, dug deep and built his house on a rock. And when the storms came and the winds blew, his house stood firm. And the foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the rains came and the water rose and the winds blew, that man's house blew. And obviously, Jesus said the house is representing the person's life, right? So if we want to have our lives to be able to withstand the storms of life that are going to come, uh, then it has to be built on something solid. And so your faith, and understand this, man, your foundation, the foundation of your life is only as stable, your life is, as only, is only as stable as the foundation, and the foundation is only as stable as the substance of which it's made. And so that's why it is utmost importance that our faith is the foundation of things hoped for. We said understand that the word hope means something looked forward to with anticipation. In other words, I have or expectation. I have an expectation, right? I'm expecting something. If uh, if you had a relative, that, a rich relative that called you up and said, "Hey, Jimmy, you know, uh, you were just on my heart, man," and, and I just think you, know, I just want you to know, I put a check in the mail yesterday for you for a thousand dollars, and so you'd be watching the mailbox for it. Well, guess what? You've got an expectation, man. You you going up that mailbox every day? You watch that little white truck come pulling up past it, man. He ain't the sooner pulled out, you burning the trail to the mailbox, checking out. Ooh, is that check in the mail? Did it get here now? Why? Because you're expecting something. I'm expecting a package, baby. Why? Because you heard somebody's word and you accepted their word as truth. And so that truth that you accept, that, that word that you accepted as truth has become a foundation upon which you built an expectation to get something. And so we understand that, that faith, uh, uh, so we, we looked at this last week. We studied this, uh, how, faith, uh, how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and accepting as truth. Uh, because we said this, that you know, some, some people can go and sit in a church for years. And they can hear the Word taught, 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 and they can take notebooks, and they can fill up their little notebooks. And like I said, note-taking is good. We encourage that. You know, we mentioned last week that the Bible said the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonican believers because they daily searched the Scriptures to see if the things they were being taught were true. 
You know, it's, it's foolishness for you to come to listen to me, come listen to Pastor Earl or anybody and not go back, open your Bible up and read it. and say Because this is the thing, if people don't do that, I'm sorry. This, you can say, Pastor Brian, that just sounds judgmental. The people that won't do that, how seriously do they take their, their walk with the Lord? I mean, seriously, how seriously do people take their walk with the Lord if you're just willing just to listen to anything that somebody spoon-feeds you and you don't ever go back and check it? What if somebody told you, you know, what if, um, you, know, uh, you know, most, I think all of us, we've got, some, if we've got children, that when, you know, it's tax season, taxes were just due. Most of you know kids are a nice little tax write-off, ain't they? Amen. That's, that's the government's compensation for you keeping, making, keeping babies around, right? And... Uh, but what if somebody just told you, what if you, what if Cindy was at school and somebody said, you know what, I heard they changed the tax code and they ain't giving you no deduction for children anymore. And Cindy just, and, and, so, and so Cindy just goes, oh well, that stinks, man. Andrew's worth 2500 bucks a year to me as long as I could write him off. <laughs> There's something like that. 3650 But if somebody said to you, uh, you know, they don't do it anymore. And if she just went, Oh, well. Well, now, what are the chances of her doing that? Not much. Why? Because in the back of her mind, she's going, no, 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 no. Because what you're telling me, if it's true, then it's going to cost me something. There's a little financial benefit there that's going to cost me. So I guarantee you, you know what Cindy would do? She's probably going to get on the horse. She's probably going to get online and go to the IRS website and check it out. Or she's going to call up a CPA or something and go, hey, uh, somebody told me something. Uh, they said that they were doing away with the deduction for children in taxes. Is that true? And, of course, if she, go, if she goes to the IRS website or if she contacts somebody else who is a trained tax preparer, and they say, no, there's absolutely not a shred of truth in that. And you're like, good. Well, what did she do? She was searching it out to make sure what she heard was accurate. Why? Because there was a benefit that she was going to be denied if she accepted what that person said at truth. That's truth. If she just said, oh, well, you know, I guess that's it, you know, and she went ahead and she filled her taxes out and didn't bother to write in the, the, deduction, the deduction of a child, then guess what? You've lost that benefit. But this is the thing. There's people that will do that. There are people that will meticulously, man, if, it, if it's filling out paperwork for anything, and money's the worst thing in the world. Man, you start talking, my grandpa used to say, you want to find out how, about how somebody's heart is, you start looking at their pocketbook. You start looking at their, he said, you get their checkbook and you see where all their money's going. And you want to start getting, and you want to start getting people mad. Man, I'm telling you, as, as a pastor, you start teaching, you start talking about money and people will shut down on you quicker than anything. Oh, here we go. That preacher just want my money. Want my, Pastor Huffman used to say, preacher wants your money, wants your chicken, and wants your woman. <laughs> he said, I, he said, I got my own woman, I got my own money, and I don't want your chicken. Amen. But you understand is that people will do that. They will put forth effort to look into something. Because we said this, that they examined the Scriptures. That word examined literally meant they scrutinized. In other words, they got their Bible and they said, you know what, that guy Paul was saying this, this, and this. And you know what, we're going to go, we're going to get some shoals, and we're going to look down, we're going to check this thing out and make sure what this guy says is true. Why? Because they realized the, the, the significance of their beliefs on their life. But this is the thing. Hallelujah. A lot of people in the church today, especially in America, they take their belief and they take their faith so lightly that it just really don't matter to them. They're going to go and they're just going to endure, you know, 25, 30, 40 minutes of blah, 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 blah. I mean, most of what they're hearing, it sounds like Charles Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 And they're tuned out. And, and this is the thing. You, you know, and then they go, they go out in their car and they're going to throw the Bible up on the dashboard and there it lays for the next week. Till they go back to church again and they get religious on Sunday and they go back in, they carry their little sun-cracked Bible cover back into the church. You understand, we can't be that way. If we say it's time for the church to be serious about what we say we believe and adjust our priorities to it, Amen. To looking into the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Understand this. Now, this is something that we want. This is the new thing we want to introduce to you this evening. Quickly is because so far we have talked about what faith is, identifying 
faith. Because you can't identify it. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. We saw that. So if God wants us to have something that is a requisite to pleasing Him, then for us to have it, we have to be able to recognize it, right? We have to be able to recognize what faith is, okay? God, Because God's not unjust. God's not going to say, um, if you're going to please me, you've got to have this. Okay, God, well, what is it? Well, just figure that out for yourself. God's not unjust to do that. So we've talked about what faith is so that you can identify it. Because, and we've said this, and I spent some time actually on a couple of different sessions uh, making sure that we understood and we could identify, you know, the Bible talk, there's faith, um, and, and, and Paul commended Timothy for his uh, unfeigned faith. And we said that you could deduct from that statement that there was genuine faith or unfeigned, you know, uh, that, that feigned faith was fake or put on. If something is feigned, it's, it, it can't, it, it's the, the same word that means dissembled, dissembled. And dissimulation is something that portrays itself to look like something else with the intention of deceiving. And so we, we tried to, to help you understand that just being aware, and we mentioned this last week and I'll say it again, the greatest mistake of uh, pertaining faith for someone thinking they have faith is to mistake the, the awareness of facts to be faith. Now we said this, faith and ignorance are impossible roommates. If you're going to have faith, you have to know something. Faith is based on the accumulation of knowledge of God's Word. But, the, but having an accumulation of knowledge of God's Word itself is not faith. Um, someone, someone can help me here. There, there are um, certain hormones uh, in your body that those, uh, those hormones... Uh, those chemicals in your body themselves are not, um, they are not a, a particular uh, hormone or chemical in your body, but they're what they call precursors, I believe. So they call it a precursor. That they're not the things their self that, that you want, but they are the necessary components to making that. Okay, so, ju- so just knowledge itself, just knowledge of God's Word itself is not faith. It is a precursor. It is a, it is a requisite that you, can't not, you cannot have legitimate biblical faith if you don't have knowledge, but the knowledge itself is not faith. We said this, that the litmus test to determine whether or not you have what God says is faith and what is biblical faith is if it controls the way you think and the way you speak and the way you behave. Because this thing, you can know all kinds of stuff. You can be aware of facts. You can have, as a matter of fact, you can have the Bible memorized. But just knowing what it says is not faith. You just know what it says. It's faith when it when it alters the way that a person lives. We said this, we mentioned this over in 2 Timothy. Oh, man, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe, over there someplace, where it said there are people, Paul's talking about in the last days things are going to happen, and he says there are people uh, that are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, man, they're running around, they go going to this conference, going to that conference, buying this uh, buying this book from this person, buying this uh, CD series from this person, and they got a shelf full of note uh, full of notebooks, and they got a closet full of notebooks, and they've been taking notes in their in their spirit filled word teaching churches for twenty years, and man, they got all kinds of but they ain't living none of it. And guess what? They're deceived into thinking that they got faith. They they're always learning, but they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. But you understand this, that in order for your faith to accomplish anything, it has to be released. Amen? Let me see, James chapter 2, I believe. Let me turn there real quick. James 2, and I'm going to start with um, 
verse 22. It says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? It's talking about Abraham, uh, that he went and he offered Isaac his son on the altar. It says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified uh, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Okay? Um, that, and that's actually the last thing on the, the last fill in the blank. Unre- unreleased faith is dead faith. Um, that word dead obviously means dead. Uh, some other definitions of it means inactive, fruitless, or idle. Dead faith. Dead faith. Uh, inactive fruitless, idle. Um, God, how many you know that this, this passage in James is telling us, you know, another way to say faith without works is dead. Now, it's not talking about works of the law. You know, there's, there's, you know the Bible does teach it's, you know, that we're saved by grace through faith and it's not of works lest any man should boast. That's talking about works of the law. What this, this word works, what it literally means is, is that, uh, that you are justified by faith and what could, what can be called a corresponding action. In other words, you're in compliance with what the Word says. And you understand that faith, and Pastor Earl brought this out, and I need to emphasize this again, is that faith is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, your faith is what you, and you understand that currency is a medium of exchange. You, you know, if we take uh, currency, you get your wallet out, and, you know, I don't know about you, I don't hardly ever carry cash hardly anymore. I usually use my debit card. But you'll carry cash, uh, and you can go in someplace, and that currency is a medium of exchange. If you go in and you say, oh, I want a cup of coffee and a donut. And there's a dollar for a cup of coffee and a dollar for a donut, and you can get your coffee and your donut, and you walk up to the counter at the convenience store, and you can put them across there, and then you take your wallet out, and you pull the money out, and you hand it to them, and you exchange that money for the coffee and the donut. Okay? Faith is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. It, it, is, it is what we use as an exchange to obtain the promises of God. And I, and I really feel like I, I want to... to to mention this because the first uh, lesson we did on this, I spent a lot of time emphasizing that faith was not just to get stuff. Because there's been such a huge lopsided teaching on the subject of faith that almost makes you think that faith is you rubbing the bottle to make the genie come out and give you three wishes. That it's just for get, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. My name's Jimmy, not Jimmy Matthews. Huh? <laughs> but that you hear this lopsided teaching of, of faith where it seems like for so long that there's a great deal of teaching on obtaining the promises of God by faith. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's accurate. Uh, and, I, and I spent quite a bit of time though saying that it's not just limited to that. That we went through Hebrews... Um, was it chapter Hebrews chapter 13 or no Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 we went on through that where uh, it said you know that there were people that uh, they did great deeds they did mighty works through faith um, and that they uh, that there were some people that they died uh, by, because of their faith their convictions and their beliefs were so strong they were like I'm not budging off of it and you can kill me but I ain't backing down from what I believe I won't change my tune for you there was a <laughs> I keep using these song examples uh, yeah uh, there's a Hank Williams Jr. song babe I can't change my tune for you huh these people their convictions were so strong it's like babe I can't change my tune for you I'm not changing my mind I'm not moving off of this and 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 they died and and I feel like I maybe left that without reiterating to you the fact that you do use faith to obtain things. It's not exclusively that, but it is part of it, is that when God says, I'm going to give you something, I've made something available to you, your faith 
in God. Your firm persuasion and your conviction in that what God said was true to the point that it alters your lifestyle and it alters the way you think and it alters the way you speak and the way you behave. That becomes the currency, the medium of exchange that you use to obtain that promise that God made. Amen? Let's turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We have, we have looked at this a lot, amen, especially uh, when we were doing teaching on lordship. But uh, we want to take a look at it um, from maybe a little different perspective here. And what we're talking about is your faith needs to be released. Let's go ahead and fill in this this, uh, second-to-last blank before we go on any further. We release our faith by believing in our heart and speaking with our mouth and acting on the Word. This is what in James chapter uh, uh, 2, when when he says faith without works, you could say these things right here are works of faith is what I've called it one time before. Works of faith. Works of faith is, is believing in your heart uh, or the way you think, speaking it with your mouth and acting on the word. You could say, like I said, you could say in James chapter two, that is that is works of faith. Okay, and we want to take a look. So faith needs to be released, and I want to establish uh, something with you here real quick. Romans ten, we're going to start with verse eight. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay, now, uh, this is the angle I want us to look at this this evening. It says, um, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me ask you this question. What if someone believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He's Lord, that He died on the cross for their sins, but they never confess that with their mouth? Is that person saved? Not according to the Word, right? The Word says with, with the heart you believe unto righteousness. In other, in other words, that's leading you up to righteousness, that belief in your heart. But this Scripture says, it says, but with the mouth your confession is made unto salvation. So what has to happen here? Obviously, it's, If you look at this in Scripture, what it's saying is, is that you have to speak what you believe in your heart. In other words, this is one way that faith is being released. You're, the, the easiest way, the, the most basic way, the most elementary way that your faith will be released is by the words you speak out of your mouth. Because this is the thing. Some people might say, well, what about your actions? I thought that you said that your actions was part of that. Well, you understand it's a lot of, it talks a lot easier than action, right? And so if you can't get your if you can't do the easy part, you ain't ever gonna do the hard part, right? Because talk's cheap, right? Talk talk can be talk ought not be cheap though. Because we're gonna look at this. It can be, but God never intended it to be that way. And so you know, when I say that, this isn't oh, don't you all wish you had it all together like Pastor Brian? Because we're all working on this, right? But we need to understand this because Paul said, and I love this in Philippians, Paul said when he's writing to the Philippian church, he said, "Look, he said, I'm not. You know, this is the the Brian Adkins paraphrase. I'm not trying to pull. I'm not trying to make anyone think I got it all together. But I'm doing one thing. I'm pressing toward getting there. I'm making that my goal. I'm. I, and you know, and the book of James also says that we're to look into the 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 Word of God, the perfect law of liberty, and that we don't walk away being forgetful hearers of the Word, because what happens? You deceive yourself, because it's just another way of saying that I have." I'm always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Right? And so this right here, it says that you believe in your heart 
and you confess with your mouth. So a person's not saved. It's not saved. Why? Because they've not released that faith. They've not released what they believe in their heart through speaking it out of their mouth. They've not, so to speak, figuratively speaking, they've not pulled their wallet out and broke the cash out to use as a medium of exchange. They have not released that medium of, of exchange in the kingdom. The currency of the kingdom is faith, remember? So God has said, Salva- who's, who's salvation available to? Man, everyone. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross to redeem mankind and, and, to, and to buy us back from our sin, it was, in, in God's mind, it was just like, man, paid in full for the whole world. I've taken care of it. You know, people sin, nobody's sin will send them to hell. Their unbelief. People will go to hell because of their unbelief because the sin's already been taken care of. The blood of Jesus paid for every sin. But so you understand this, is that that faith has to be released. As a matter of fact, I'll go as far as say this, that it's not really faith until it is. It's, it's belief unto righteousness. You're right up to the point. But until that you release your faith, until you begin to speak what you're believing in your heart, you're not really releasing it. And uh, I understand this on the, the outline that I've given you, uh, that we've given you, I've placed a lot of uh, a list of supportive scriptures. And I'm gonna, some of them I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you what the gist of it is and I would encourage you take that. Look at these scriptures because we're talking about releasing faith by the words that you speak. Um, Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 29, it recounts the creation of the earth. Now, you understand, God could have chosen any way that he wanted to to create the earth. How many of y'all, how many of y'all think if God wanted to, he could have just went and thought about it, and poof, there's the earth. Could, could he not chose to do it and done it that way? Couldn't he have done, chose to do it like old Jedi mind trick? Ooh, just waved his hand. Ooh, old Jedi mind trick. God could have just went, could God, if he wanted to, pulled off, you know, pulled off a big silk top hat and took a magic wand and tapped the hat and reached down in it and pulled out the earth? Yeah. God could have, I mean, God could have done it any way he wanted to, but what way did he choose to do it? And God said, and God said, and God spoke. God said, let there be light. Or literally, in Hebrew, he literally said, light be. And light was, and Boom. So, verses 1 through 29, it recounts creation from the earth, from the waters, the separation, the moon, the stars, the animals. God spoke. He spoke all of it into existence. Now, something that's really cool is that when it comes to man, he cre- it says he molded man. If you study it out, he literally molded man out of the dust of the earth and then breathed into him the breath of life, breathed into man the Holy Ghost, and man became the Bible. It literally says he became a living, breathing creature. But God could have used any way that he wanted to, any method that he wanted to to create the earth, but he chose to speak. Amen? God released his faith uh, by his spoken words. Amen? Um, Let's take a look at... um, Let me see... What order do I have them in here? Let me get this. I got a different order. Um, Psalms nineteen fourteen. Psalm nineteen fourteen says, "Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer." Now you understand this is that I remember the, the, the when I was a boy growing up in the church I grew up in. Um, when they said, "Oh, let your, let the the thoughts of my heart, let the the words of my mouth, and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord," there was a great amount of emphasis put on you. Yeah, you don't want to be talking like a potty mouth. Don't be no sewer mouth. God don't want to hear you talking like a sewer mouth. Well, how many of y'all know that's true? You know, God don't want you using uh, coarse, vulgar uh, language, filthy language. You know, the Bible says, "Don't let any filthy language proceed out of your mouth." Well, what's, and you always meet somebody, well, what's filthy language? You know what filthy language is. Stuff your mama would have slapped you in the mouth for saying. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, but you understand this is that a person can say stuff that's not pleasing to God and never and not 
have a shred of profanity in it. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced, I'm just about convinced that God would just about, that, that God's not near as bothered by people cursing and using profanity as he is people doubting his word and calling him a liar. I'm, now I can't, I can't, you know, I can't say that as a doctrine, but I'm just, I, I'm just, I mean, I personally am convinced that God's not as offended with someone dropping the f bomb as what He is someone reading His Word and just saying, I, you know, I don't believe that, or not accepting His Word as truth. That's why you calling Him a liar, you doubting His Word. The other thing, you just cursing and coarse and being, you know, just being crude. But the other, the other one, you're refusing to accept God's Word of truth. And so he's saying, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Well, what's acceptable? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If something's pleasing, it's acceptable. So you could say it this way. You could say, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be faith. Let the, let the words of my mouth and what I meditate on my heart be faith. Believe in your Word. That I, that I am persuaded, I have a conviction based on your word, and I'm speaking it. In other words, the words that I'm speaking, I'm speaking your word, and I'm releasing faith over the situation. I look at my stack of bills, and it's just, it's just saying, Oh God, I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know what's going to happen. You say, Lord, I'm a good steward. I'm a tither. I'm a giver. I'm a good steward of what you give me, and, on, and, I, and I'm in right standing with you. And based on the authority of your word, your word says that you're going to supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And you speak his word in faith and you believe it. Because this is the thing, if you don't believe it in your heart and you're speaking out your mouth, that's called hypocrisy. If you're just saying it because you know, well, that's just the right thing to do. That's what I'm supposed to say. Well, that's not really believing it. You've got to have a conviction in your heart, man. And this is the thing. And don't put deadlines on God. Don't say, oh God, this is the cutoff notice because God don't care nothing about your little cutoff notice. And besides this, you're not going to die if they cut your electric off for two or three days. Right? I mean, that'd be real inconvenient, especially in summer in South Georgia. But how many you know if you sit and sweat for three days, that doesn't mean that God's Word ain't faithful, God ain't faithful to His Word? Huh? God don't, God don't operate on no two-week pay cycle. God don't operate on no month pay cycle. God don't even operate on an annual pay cycle. But His Word is true. And this is the thing. So what if they shut your electric off and they shut your cable off and they shut your cell phone off, baby? Guess what? God's still true. And what are you going to do? What else do you got better to do than just sit around and, and, and wait for God's faithfulness to manifest? Backslide? What's up with that? You're going to go to hell because they cut your cell phone off. That's stupid. Who cut my cell phone off? Well, that faith stuff don't work. What? Because this is the thing. You can stay in faith and not have your cell phone on until you get your cell phone on. Or you can cast aside your confidence and compromise your righteousness with God and still not have a cell phone. Amen. Amen. You might as well just stay over in faith, right? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. I like this verse, this passage of Scripture. God's talking about His Word. Amen? Isaiah 55, 10, 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from, the, from heaven, He's talking about the sky. You understand the Bible teaches there's three heavens. Paul said, I, was, he said, I know a man that was called up to the third heaven. First heaven is the sky, the atmosphere of the earth. Second heaven is outer space. Third heaven is the dwelling place of God. So this is saying, God's saying, as the rain comes down and the snow comes from heaven, he's talking about the atmosphere of the earth, and it returns, uh, uh, returneth not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth bud, that it, may, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Man, listen to this. God is saying, just like rain and snow, the water that rain and snow brings to the earth creates an atmosphere creates an environment on the earth conducive for seed to be received into the ground that's going to spring forth and produce a harvest that gives seed to the sower and bread to eat. Because think about it. 
he's talking to an agricultural-based economy. These people, their economy, their welfare, their, their livelihood was based on agriculture, primarily on agriculture. And God's saying, <coughs> excuse me, that water, that waters the earth, it creates an environment that is that when it receives a seed, that that seed's going to produce a harvest. And you understand this? Is that if you ain't buying these genetically modified seeds... I'm going to tell you what, this seed they sell now in the stores, it, you can't, if you buy corn from the hardware store and plant it and think you're going to save you an ear of corn and, and let it dry and plant you some, that genetically modified corn doesn't reproduce. Now, I'm telling you, that's of the devil. Because God made, it, God made a seed to reproduce. That it's food to eat. God made seed, you plant it, it grows up to a stalk, it produces an ear of corn, and guess what? You got, you got bread to eat and seed to sow. So God's saying just like the snow and the rain gives water that creates an atmosphere or, or creates an environment that is conducive to the seed being produced, he says this, he said, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. Void means empty or unproductive. God says it shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God says, my word, it's just like the water that waters the mountain that creates an environment that's conducive to the seed produced. God's saying, my word does that. My word, it don't return to me, boy. I send my word out, and where it is received and mixed with faith, it, is, it, it, it profits, right? Because Hebrews chapter 4 was at verse 2. We said the children of Israel said the word of God did not profit them. That word profit means to benefit, to bring, to bring a benefit to. The word of God didn't bring a benefit to them, but it wasn't because there was any deficiency on the word. The deficiency was because they did not mix it with faith. And so God saying, my word, he said, if it goes out, it don't return to me void, but it accomplishes that which I send, which I send it, uh, it accomplishes that I please, and it prospers the thing that I send it. Hallelujah. Look here. You're there in Isaiah 55. Turn to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. And we're going to look at verse 17. So now... What we've looked at so far, in Genesis, God chose to release His, to release His power and to release His faith. Cause how, let me ask you this. How many of you believe when God said, light be, that He, that he really believed, that he believed in His heart? He had a firm persuasion and a conviction that when He said it, it was going to happen. God chose the spoken word to release His power. Okay? Did he create? Did he originally create man in the original intent, in God's likeness and in His image? Did man uh, resemble Him in form and in character? Yes, He did. God. So God chose to release His power through His spoken word. God creates man in His likeness and His image. And we looked over in Psalms that the psalmist is saying, "Lord, let the, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable or pleasing to You." Isaiah, God's telling us again. He chose speaking His Word to release His power on stuff. Okay? Isaiah 57, 17 through 20. Um, let me see, eight, I'm going to read 18 and, 18 and 19. I'm sorry. I have seen His ways and will heal Him. I will also lead Him and restore comforts to Him and His mourners. This is the, the Lord speaking. I create the fruit of the lips... Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. God says, I create the fruit of the lips. God's saying, I'm giving you my word to speak. I'm giving you my word to put in your mouth. Uh, what did he tell Joshua? You're going to meditate on it day and night. In other words, you're going to speak it to yourself day and night. That you'll observe to do it. Because that word meditate in the Old Testament, it actually means to mutter to yourself. To speak to yourself. So God, but God's saying, I create the fruit of the lips. What have we, what have we given God to create? You understand this: that speaking words of faith has the power to create things. And you understand, Jesus said you'd have faith in God. How many of y'all know people have faith in the devil? Oh, come on now, they don't think, they don't realize that. They're not saying I have faith in the devil. But you realize that doubt 
actually is faith in the devil. Doubting God's Word is actually faith in the devil. Because let's think about it. The devil's saying what's opposite of God's Word, right? And so, if if hearing something and accepting it as truth produces, produces faith, well, if you hear the devil's report, if God says, I'm going to meet your need, if God says, I'm going to see you through it, don't you lose no sleep over it. Don't you fret. Don't you drive yourself crazy. I got you covered. But then the devil says, man, you ain't going to make it. And you believe that, and you run around believing that in your heart and confessing it. I just don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm probably going to lose everything I got. I don't know what's going to happen. I, don't just, I just don't know what's going to happen. Oh, I got, I got this lump, and I don't know what it is. And I, man, I just know that it's bad. I just know, man, because yeah, it runs in my family. Oh, God, it's probably going to kill me. I, you know, it's, probably, it's probably malignant. Oh, my God. Guess what? You're speaking your faith, right? It just ain't in God. That's why Jesus said, have faith in God. Amen? But God creates uh, the fruit of the lips. Um, I'm not going to mention all these, but I do want to take a look at just a couple more, and you can uh, run through this list yourself. But um, I do want to take a look at the one in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Starting with verse 32. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not Matthew 24. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 36. And we're going to see if this rings a bell with you. Jesus talking. Um, I'm, I'm going to back up to verse 33 and read this to you so you can get it in your context. But Jesus is talking about trees being known by their fruit. Does that sound familiar? Your fruit. I create the fruit of the lips. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, Hallelujah. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, what does it say? Said there'll be there'll be trees of their God, the planting of their God, an orchard. So Jesus is really saying, you know, Jesus is saying that people either make the man good he, he Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. He could say this either make the person bad and their words and their confession bad, or make the person good and their words and their confession good. And he says, for a tree is known by its fruit. Wow. That's a powerful statement, ain't it? Because you understand this. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'm not talking about... How many of you know... I remember when I was in college in one of my sociology classes. They, they talked about this concept that they called the transition to artificiality. And that they said that it was something that men were horribly susceptible to that as boys you know boys man they'll pick a booger in a heartbeat won't they right in front of a girl won't think nothing about it man they'll dig for nose gold man they'll break wind and laugh with their buddies about it in front of the little girls and the little girls go, you're gross you're gross and little boys will just do gross stuff and snicker and giggle about it and think it's cool won't they um because boys are nasty, right? Nastiest creature, nastiest creature on the face of the planet's a teenage boy. Oh my gosh! But mine will be clean in the name of Jesus. Pastor Cheyenne, she says, she says, Lord, she goes, I don't know what I do. She says, when you and the kids, the house is a mess. And I always drop that verse on on Bible out of Proverbs. It says, it says, uh, where there is no ox, the stall is clean, but much gain comes from the strength of an ox. Amen. <laughs> You want a clean stable, man, you just get all the, you get all the oxes out and it's going to be clean, but there's, a lot, there's much gain at the strength of an ox, amen? But this concept of the transition to artificiality is that when boys get a little older and they start noticing, you know, it's usually around adolescence or puberty, oh, them girls are kind of cute. Oh, and I kind of like holding their hand and getting little shivers and getting a little sugar every once in a while. But how many of you know the guys that were teenagers in school that still picked their nose and let gas in front of girls and laughed and thought it was funny? They weren't probably weren't getting a lot of sugar, right? 
Yeah, don't pick your knuckle. Don't have it buried up to the second knuckle and then be still wanting to think you're going to get a little lip action off of some girl that sees you doing it. Right? That doesn't mean they don't pick their nose. It just means they don't do it in front of girls anymore. And see, this is what they call this transition to artificiality. It's when boys realize there's something that I want from the girl, but if I act like myself, who I really am in front of them, picking and grinning, <laughs> hee-haw, I'm a picking and I'm a grinning, right? If I act like myself in front of them, they ain't going to give me no sugar. They ain't going to give me no sugar that I want. So I have to start acting like the sensitive guy. i got to start acting like I don't do that gross stuff. And I'm really interested in what they've got to say. When all the time it's just uh, for, for most carnal, not born-again people, it's an ulterior, they have an ulterior motive. And it's a put on it. So when they hang out, you know, they won't cuss, they won't spit, they won't pick, they won't rip in front of the girl. But when they hang out with their buddies, they Wayne County hanky in it, you know, you know, stick, you know, blowing it out. They'll scratch places they wouldn't scratch in front of the girl, and they'll talk, and they'll talk, and they'll talk, and they'll use language they wouldn't think about using in front of the girl. Why? Because that's unacceptable. Well, how many of you know that's just pure hypocrisy? But, they, but in sociology, they call it transition to artificiality. Well, what Jesus is talking about here is make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Now, this is why the reason I went through all that is it wasn't just to make you laugh and make sure everybody's still awake, but was to let you know this is that thing that gets right back to feigned faith. And I am thoroughly convinced that in so-called faith circles, word of faith, charismatic circles that we have that there has been the creation of these people that they know how to talk the talk they know how to quote the word they'll come to church and in front of their church buddies go how you doing oh i'm blessed hallelujah blessed just like you hallelujah and then they driving home and they talking their junk all the way home they in their house talking their junk and they come to church. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed to the Lord. I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. And then they go back home and they're talking. And guess what? That's that whole transition to artificiality going on in the church world. They come in and they, I, I, I'm not going to say anything that I would know would cause people to look down on me because I know what I'm supposed to say. Just like the little teenage boy that ain't going to cuss, ain't going to do all that other gross stuff in front of the girls because he knows it's not, it's not behavior that's, uh, that's, that he knows it's uh, behavior that's frowned upon that's not going to get him what he wants. So he starts putting on a fake. And we've got people in the church that'll do that, that they know how to talk to talk. They've got, the, they got the little religious lingo down perfectly, but when nobody's around, what's the fruit they're producing? They want to come to church, walk through the door, hold their wife's hand. Hallelujah, hallelujah, you're all happy. And they go home, man, and their marriage is a mess. And she's talking divorce, and he's talking divorce. You know, I, I, I've told people before, I tell people when we do marriage counseling, I said, think about the most, ob, the, the most uh, uh, repulsive, offensive pro, uh, obscenity that you can think of. The, word, the most repulsive word, the one that just nauseates you to hear, the one, the one that your mama would have just fainted if she ever heard it come out your mouth. I said, and you need to consider the word divorce worse than that word. Because you walk around, maybe we ought to just divorce. Maybe we ought to just call it quits. Maybe we ought to just, you know, maybe we ought to just hang this thing up because it ain't working. Like I said, God just soon you hear you dropping F-bombs in your house. I'm convinced God would, would prefer to hear you dropping F-bomb in your house than to hear you talking um, doubt and unbelief and junk like that. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastor is not telling you. Please, I'm running this disclaimer. Do not think that Pastor is telling you it's all right to use the F-bomb in your house. Okay? Because I don't want you dropping an F-bomb on your wife. Well, Pastor told me I could say No, Pastor did not tell you you could use that. What I'm saying is, is that to God... I believe that God finds it more offensive for people to talk stuff that's contrary to His Word than to just drop profanity. I really do. So, a tree, But Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit, and it's not the fruit. Man, that's good. Thank you, Lord. It's not the little fig tree out there putting its little leaves out trying to act like it's got some fruit. Remember the story? Jesus walked past the fig tree, 
saw leaves on it, and he went over to try to get him some fruit. Why? Because the tree was putting the little leaves out there, like, even though it wasn't the time for figs, the Bible says it wasn't time for figs, but the tree was all bloomed out there, like, oh, look at me. Come get some fruit. Well, what can we say that is? That's people that got the little jargon down, got the little lingo down. They can talk it, but they ain't really got no fruit. And when Jesus comes to inspect it, okay, let's check out what fruit. Oh, you ain't got no fruit here. This is all just a big sham. This is a big put on. Well, what did Jesus do to that tree? Not loving Jesus. Not sweet old loving Jesus, right? Jesus, not sweet, uh, sweet little sugar-coated Jesus. He wouldn't curse that tree for trying to act like it had some fruit on it and, not, and it not, would he? Well, that's what the Word says, right? Now, what are you saying, Pastor? Are you saying that, that Jesus is going to curse us if, we, uh, if, we're, if we're putting on pretense to be bearing fruit and we're really not, that God's going to curse us uh, for hypocrisy? You, you, you decide that. You decide that. Anyway, um, but anyway, it says, Brood of Jesus, verse 34, Brood of vipers, we're going to finish this up. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, he's just saying, this is the thing. If you're talking junk at the house that's contrary to, that you wouldn't think about talking in the church in front of your Christian buddies, guess what? You're just talking what you really are there, and that's out of the abundance of your heart. And that's why that's all that can come out. It says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Listen to this. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. And and like I said, the church I grew up in, when it said you'll give an account for every idle word, I mean, I had a guy one time tell me, man, that that when you were a believer, that you know every time you you slipped and maybe said something coarse or vulgar or obscene, that you shouldn't, that your words went on out into space ahead of you. And when you went and you stood before God, He's going, you're going to be standing there and all your little uh, dirty words and curse words that you said in your life that's going to be there before God. Because you're going to give an account for every idle word. Well, like I said, please don't, don't ever mistake and think that I'm condoning profanity or loose talk because I certainly am not. But that's not what that's saying. That's not what it's saying. That word, it says, you will give an account for every idle word that you speak. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Pause there. Let's go back to James uh, chapter 2 for a minute. Remember it said, faith without works is dead. We said dead obviously means dead. It means uh, inactive, unfruitful, idle. Okay? Jesus is saying you're going to give account for idle words. Now this word idle means lazy, non-productive, inactive, unfruitful, barren, ineffective, and worthless. I'm going to give it to you again. Idle means lazy, non-productive, inactive, unfruitful, barren, ineffective, and worthless. So this is what I want to get to this evening, is that God showed us the pattern that He released His faith by what He spoke. God created us in His image. God intended for man to, because this is the thing, I'm going to try to encapsulate this and give it to you. And now there's people that do not want to believe this. You understand most of the people in church world do not believe this. Most people who profess to be believers, they'll go, oh, you want that name it and claim it group. That blab it and grab it, people. Okay? What verse did we start out with when we started looking at this back in Romans chapter 10? Okay? Do we, what is the greatest thing that you, a person can obtain from God? Can we say salva- our salvation, our, our new birth, our being brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son? We've been brought into the kingdom. That's the greatest thing that we're going to look Because if you don't get that, you can't get no healing. You can't get your needs met. You can't get peace of mind. You, that's the greatest thing. That's the, that's the cornerstone. That's the gateway. That's the linchpin, if you will, of everything that we, that we do spiritually as a believer, right? 
How did you get that? You believed it in your heart and you spoke it with your mouth. You released your faith in what you believed by speaking your words. Now let me ask you this. If that is how we even enter into the kingdom, if that's how we go from death unto life, if that's how we go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, if that's how we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive to God and we obtain this new birth and how we become a new creature in Christ Jesus is by believing in our heart and speaking our faith, why is it so hard for people to believe that any of the other things that God has promised that are all a package deal of salvation that He's made available to us that that's not the way we get it. Amen? Because it's religion. Hallelujah. So, anyway, if we're going to we're going to conclude right there. You got to release your faith. Now you we've covered, you know what faith is? You're able to identify it. You're able to tell the real thing from the fake thing so that you ain't getting no imitation bacon bits going on in your life. Are you all your bacon bits are genuine, right? Real bacon bits. No imitation. We know what faith is. We know how to get it. We know where, where to go to get it and what we got to do to get it. And we know how to release it and to obtain the, the promises of God with it. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. We thank You for this day. We thank